So today we're going to be focusing on the priestly garments that are, and you say, well, that's not actually part of the tabernacle. Well, in order for the tabernacle to function, it is part of the tabernacle, okay? So uh, in Exodus 28, so you have a little bit of it in front of you. There's a much longer passage, obviously. So if you want to open to Exodus 28, um, we, we won't read both 28 and 39, uh, Exodus 39, because they're both pretty long. A lot of detail is given. A lot of Bible real estate, if you will, is given to these priestly garments. But if you start in verse 1, and take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him. So God's talking to Moses and telling him to take Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office, even Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, uh, Eleazar, uh, Ithamar, Aaron's sons. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother for glory and for beauty. And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a rope, a broidered coat, a miter, and a girdle. And they shall make holy garments for Aaron thy brother and his sons, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. So this is the, you know, we've kind of taken that design and build approach, right? Because we were talking about a structure. In this case, it's more of a design and, and fabricate or make. But this design continues on down all the way through the, uh, through the end of the chapter, or almost to the end of the chapter. Notice, <coughs> excuse me, um, in verse 39, and thou shalt embroider the coat of linen, uh, and thou shalt make the miter of um, fine linen, and thou shalt make the girdle of needlework. And then he says, and for Aaron's sons, thou shalt make coats, and thou shalt make them uh, for them girdles and bonnets, and thou shalt make them for glory and for beauty. There's that phrase again. And thou shalt put, up, uh, put them upon Aaron thy brother, his sons with him, and shalt anoint them and consecrate them and sanctify them that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. And thou shalt make them linen breeches to cover their nakedness from the loins, even unto the thighs they shall reach. And they shall be upon Aaron and upon his sons when they come into the tabernacle of the congregation or when they come near unto the altar to minister in the holy place that they bear not iniquity and die. It shall be a statute forever unto him and his seed after him. So this is like serious business, serious business, these, these priestly garments. So again, uh, we won't look at uh, Exodus 39, but I, I've left it in your notes, uh, the reference there for, for completeness sake. But in 28, the design, and 39, the, the fabricator, the build, we see the why in verses 1 through 5, which is what I read initially. Then in verses 6 through 14, we see the ephod created. And there's going to be a picture here in just a second so you can see. But the ephod, with all its accoutrements, there's a breastplate that's made. There's a robe that's made. The miter with a gold plate on it and a broidered coat. All of these things, there's a, there's a lot of detail with each of these. And honestly, I would encourage you to take some time to look at these. I, I kind of feel like I'm just going to scratch the surface with this today because there's a lot more here. But then when they build it, there's a kind of a summary in verse 1 as to what they're doing. And then 2 through 7, there's the ephod with the accoutrements. 
They make the breastplate. They make the robe in 22 through 26. 27, they make the coat. And then 28 and thir through 31, they make the miter and gold plate. And then they mention the broidered coat. So a very similar uh, representation, 28 through 39. Again, God doesn't take... Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of detail in two chapters in Scripture, so that means there's some something here. Okay, so the next picture, and I don't know that I would encourage you to try to draw this or whatever. There's a lot of pictures you can get on the on, on out on the web, but but these are the garments which they shall make: a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a broidered coat, a miter, and a girdle. Okay, so there's a miter, which is basically a hat, and it's got a gold plate on the forehead that would say righteousness. Uh, uh, I think it's righteousness unto the Lord. Um, and then there was this breastplate. So I'm going to go start from the outside and work in. So there was a breastplate with the Urim and Thummim and the, the, the 12 uh, stones representing the 12 nations or the 12 tribes. There were these connection plates at the, at the shoulders that had onyx stones in them. And then there was a girdle. Now, the girdle is really just a different name for a belt, right? We think of a girdle today, I, I, we kind of have this Elizabethan or Renaissance kind of girdle thought, right? Which is fine. I mean, words change over time, that sort of thing. But a girdle was really just a, like a sash or a belt that would tighten up. And then <clears throat> you have the ephod. Now, the ephod looks like kind of an apron, for lack of better terms. There was a front panel and a back panel, right? You could kind of see the see it here. And so it would go over the over the priest, over Aaron, and had a hole in the in the top of it that, that was specifically called out that needed to be sealed so it wouldn't tear. So that eat and then so there was kind of if you laid it flat, you, you basically could lay it flat. It would look like a, a long, gar, uh, a long, almost like a table runner or something with a hole in it, right? And it would drape over the front and the back, and then it would be tied around with the girdle or belt. Then there's a robe in this, in this drawing and in, in the representation. It's a blue. So going from the outside in, you would, you would have had the robe. And inside that is the coat. Now, again, words kind of change over time, so we actually think of the coat as being the most outward thing, right, as compared to the coat being almost the most inward thing. There's obviously some sort of breeches, underwear, if you will, um, but the coat would be the thing that would go against the skin. Then you would put on this blue robe, and then you would put on this ephod and tie it all with, with the girdle, okay? Now, there's some bells down at the bottom, and it's interesting, I, I mentioned, um, or Tesha, if, you, if you're still in Exodus uh, 28, look at, verse, um, look at verse 34 and 35. A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate upon the hem of the robe round about. So it's, it's written twice to show that there's a pattern of, of, around the bottom. And it shall be upon Aaron to minister. And his sound shall be heard when he goeth in unto the holy place, before the Lord, when he cometh out, that he die not. Like, there's this implication that, like, he's going to be making sounds as he goes in. Now, the, the people, people almost always draw the conclusion that's so they could go in and they could pull him out if he died, right? So if you don't hear any sound anymore, huh, bad news. Because if he's moving around and ministering, these bells are going are gonna to make sounds, right? 
But I think there's more to it than that. And it's not some sort of alert to God. It's not like God's surprised by Aaron showing up in there. It's not like, oh, I'm in the holy or the holy of holies over here. I didn't know Aaron was coming. It's not quite like that, right? I mean, that would be to, to, to humanize God in a way that would be inappropriate. But ministry creates sound, okay? Cre- ministry notifies. And so it's real interesting when you contrast this to what Paul describes as a tinkling cymbal, if you just become this sound in your ministry, it's, it's ineffective, right? There has to be substance behind the sound. There has to be meaning behind the effort that you put in. So I think it's very interesting. All of these things, and we're going to break them down a little bit more, all of these things point to a New Testament relationship with the Lord. Now, there's two types in play, right? Types are very, very important in Scripture. There's two types. This t- the one application of this priestly garment is you and me, the saved New Testament believer. There's a reflection to us, but there's also a very clear reflection to Christ, okay? Because Christ was the high priest for our purpose, okay? He took the sacrifice in on our behalf. So, surprise, surprise, we're in Christ Christ in us, we talked about that last time, so it's not a surprise that the type applies both to Christ, his fulfillment of the priestly duties, but also his people who follow him in service, okay? So it's just super important. Now, it's this is also, I kind of want to put a little bit of a disclaimer out. When you're talking about priestly garments, this is actually what happened with the nation of Israel. They started to esteem the man because the man was wearing the garments, okay? And this is where part of where they went wrong. The glory and honor that we've referenced a couple of times was not the glory and honor of the man. It had to be covered. His nakedness had to be covered. His, actually, what he brings to the table is kind of nothing. It's actually the garments that are put on him that are important. So this is not a contradictory message to a message where God looks on the heart, but man looks on the outward appearance. God actually is looking on the outward appearance, but it needs to reflect a spiritual situation, reflect a spiritual change in the individual. Are you guys tracking me? Because outward garments, like that was part of the problem with the nation of Israel, right? They started kind of worshiping the tradition, worshiping the garments as compared to the garments being a conduit or a tool or an enabler for them to minister. You, you with me? Okay. So, so it's important. The garments reflect what's happened on the inside, not the other way around. You don't put garments on to change your inside, right? That's not, that's not how it works. And we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll make that argument more here in just a moment. Okay, so why? Why, why all these garments? Well, they were, first, they were clothes of service, clothes of service. In, uh, uh, in Exodus 39, in verse 1, and of the blue and purple and scarlet, they made cloths or clothes of service. Why? To do service in the holy place and made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord commanded Moses. These were working clothes. Now, they were also very nice clothes, meant to be very clean clothes, but do not forget they're dealing with blood. 
They're dipping their blood, fingers in the blood, the sacrifice, and putting it on the horns. They're meant, they're, they're, they're clothes, like this is kind of a spiritual overalls, okay? Work is to be done in this. This is not just, these clothes are not just for sitting around and looking nice, okay? This is for ministering in the tabernacle unto the Lord. In Exodus 28, 4, which I read, and these are the garments they shall make, the breastplate, the ephod, the robe, the broidered coat, a mitre, a girdle, and that, that they may or that they shall make holy garments for Aaron thy brother and his sons. Why? That he may minister unto me in the priest's office. These are working clothes for the purposes of ministry. So, quick side lesson here. You should have clothes, you should have things put on you for the purposes of ministry. Now, in the New Testament, that's not physical. That's not a garment, okay? But there are things, and we'll, we'll see more of that in a moment. There are things that you need to be put on Christ, okay, in order to minister. There are also clothes of holiness. And they shall be upon Aaron and upon his sons when they come into the tabernacle. I read this at, toward, the, toward the end of the chap- chapter. Or when they come near unto the altar to minister in the holy place that they bear not iniquity and die. Like that, okay. I, I have, there's a lot of jobs where the risk of dying is t- more tangible. Like I, I always look at that, that picture of the New York skyscraper where the guys are sitting there eating their lunch. You, you know what I mean? On the girder, it's kind of like this kind of historic picture. And I think, eh. And then you go to some bridges, like the Golden Gate Bridge, and they're like, only three people died making it, or whatever. I'm like, what? I, I just made that up, but like, but people die making those bridges. And so there are jobs where people die. I'm not sure I'm signing up to be a priest. Now you didn't sign up to be a priest. It was a lineage thing, but that's serious. That's serious. If you're going to go in and meet with God and minister unto him, you need to be dressed appropriately. You need to have the right garment on Again, that's not physical in the New Testament. That's a garment of righteousness that we get through the Lord's sacrifice. But you have to have the right. Otherwise, you're going to bear iniquity and die. And it's real interesting. This is a pattern all through Scripture that we don't really like to talk about because it feels contradictory to God looking on the outward or man looking on the outward appearance and God looking on the heart. But there is a very real requirement for you to have the right garment on. That garment comes through the sacrifice of, of Christ. Okay? It doesn't come from you sewing. It doesn't come from you buying. It comes from you accepting a gift. Okay? They were clothes of holiness. They were also clothes of glory and beauty. We saw that phrase twice. Okay? Clothes of glory and beauty. Thou shalt make gar- holy garments for Aaron thy brother for glory and for beauty. Now, this phrase only ends up in, in Scripture a handful of times. Look at this. In Job, Job and God are having this back and forth, which is like kind of mind-blowing in its own regard that Job's like challenging God. And God says, hast thou an arm like God? Hey, Job, are you like me? Or canst thou thunder with a voice like him? Can you, can you speak and the thunder roll through the hills? I mean, rhetorical questions, no and no. Deck now thyself with majesty and excellency, if you can, Job. And he can't, of course. 
And then God says to Job, and array thyself with glory and beauty. Again, kind of a rhetorical, he, he knows he can't. God's making a point to Job. Job, as a man, you are insufficient. You are insufficient as a man. So this, when you couple this with the passage in Exodus, the glory and beauty is not so the priest can go back. Hey, I'm the stuff. Look at glory and beauty. Like nobody laughed at that. So I was kind of expecting some laughing. Maybe they wouldn't strut quite like that in the Old Testament, but, but they, would be, they would and could, and I think to some degree did at some point become haughty, right? They started being like, well, maybe the man makes the clothes not the clothes making the man, right? And they started thinking of themselves greater than they ought. And that's a very serious situation. If you start thinking you bring, look, if I start thinking I bring something to the message today, I'm actually doing you a disservice. The more God shows up and the less Mitch shows up, the better off you all are. The more, matter of fact, the more I speak, the more I derail the message. Like, and I'm not being like, you know, weird, supernatural, but like I, do, like I can probably do more to derail and distract you than I can, than I can to get you connecting with the Lord. That's gotta be, it's gotta be from, from God. In Psalm 29, give unto the Lord the glory to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. This glory and beauty was for the Lord. This was total sacrifice. This was, this was not so man could look at Aaron and be like, wow, he's got it going on. So quick warning, and it's something that I do see at Midtown, be careful lifting up the man. Be careful. And I don't mean lifting up the man in prayer. Everybody should lift, we should lift each other up. But certainly our pastors in prayer our leaders, our teachers, our elders, our ministers. We absolutely should, but be careful. Careful with your applause. Careful with your, careful with your words of, like there was, and I'm just going to be very, very brutal, very, very honest. There was a period of time where several guest speakers within our body were, were speaking on the, on, the, on the stage behind a, a very important pulpit, and they were introduced as the man. And I called that out and I'm like, that's not healthy. That's not okay. Because the man showing up is going to do a disservice. The glory and the beauty is the Lord's. And heaven forbid we would take even a smidge of it. Like if I, like, like it would be a sad day for Michelle. And maybe you guys would like, I don't know, somebody would be like, somebody would give her a hug if I died. But you know what? The ministry goes on. The mission goes on. This, is, this class is not about me. This church is not about Sam. Like, he is just a dude. Like, I, I don't want to... Sometimes we go in for the pre-service meeting, and he's in the bathroom. And we got to wait for him to come out of the bathroom. You know why? Because he's just a dude. He's just a guy. The glory and beauty is the Lord's. And in the day, uh, in that day shall the Lord of hosts be for a crown of glory and for a diadem of beauty unto the residual of his people. Notice the wording here is he is the glory. He is the beauty for his people. They don't have it in and of themselves. 
The other thing, so it's it's clothes of service, clothes of holiness, clothes of glory and beauty, but it's also clothes of belonging. Now, I, I, I will admit I took a little bit of, of, of pastoral license here and grabbed a passage from the New Testament that I'm applying here uh, to, to even give this clothes of belonging, but but they were supposed to only go to Aaron and his children, right? There was a there was a clearly finite number of people who were to get these clothes. Now notice in Matthew 22, there's a whole story. Actually, we've got time. Go ahead and turn over to Matthew 22 for a second. We're doing good. Matthew 22. Start in verse 1. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that uh, that were bidden to the bidden to the wedding and they would not come again he sent forth other servants saying tell them which are bidden behold i have prepared my dinner my oxen and my fatlings are killed and all things are ready come unto the marriage but they made light of it and went their way one to his farm another to his merchandise and the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them but when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their cities. Then saith he unto his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, as many as ye shall find, and bid to the marriage. Okay? This is a picture of evangelism here. It's a picture in the church age. So those servants went out into the highways, gathered together as many as they found, both bad and good, with the um, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. There is a requirement to have the right garment to attend the king's wedding. Now, this is the marriage supper of the lamb. It's a picture of what's going to happen in eternity future. We're not there yet. But believe me, if you show up with the wrong garment on, it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem. Technically, you can't show up without the right garment. Okay, you're not even going to get in the get in the doors, so to speak. But the right garment is Jesus Christ in his righteousness alone. They're clothes of belonging. They identify who you are with and who you are in. They were clothes of covering. We've touched on this a little bit. Thou shalt make them linen breeches to cover their nakedness. I, I don't know how else to say it. They got, they got priestly underwear going on. Okay? From the loins even under the thighs they shall reach. Just to make sure there's, if there's any doubt, it's going from their waist to their knees. Like it's covering them up. Okay? But notice in Genesis 3.21, And unto Adam also and to his, uh, also and to his wife did the Lord make coats of skins and clothe them. Even before the tabernacle, we actually saw this before in our study of Exodus, if you will, before we got in the tabernacle. Neither shalt thou go up by the steps unto mine altar, that thy nakedness be not discovered thereupon, or thereon. Like, 
you need to have your nakedness clothed in order to approach the Lord. Now, again, that's not clothes of service in, or, or works. That's not clothes of your own righteousness. You need the provision that God's made. In Genesis, something had to die for them to be clothed. A lamb. Spiritually, for you to be clothed in fine linen, somebody has to die, and it can't be you. You're, you're tainted. So this brings us to our first building lesson. You don't bring much to the table, but he died for you anyway. Like literally all of this is describing all the stuff that Aaron and his sons are going to put on. And it really doesn't spend a whole lot, a whole lot of time talking about Aaron and his sons. Like there's no justification. It's not because Aaron's a good dude. He just says, take it to Aaron, to his sons. So you don't bring much to the table, but he died for you because he wants the fellowship. And he's going to put on the right clothes for you. He's going to put those on. He's going to cover your nakedness. And he's going to empower you with the ability to serve and to be his minister. And it's going to be for his beauty and his glory. It's amazing. Now, these spiritual coverings, in the Old Testament, this is it. We just looked at them. A broidered coat, a robe, an ephod, a breastplate, a miter, and a girdle. In the New Testament, if you combine Revelation 19... And, Re- and Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6 is the armor of God that we think about a lot, or talk about a lot. In Revelation 19, fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. There's a blessed breastplate of righteousness as well, the helmet of salvation, the girdle of truth, uh, loins girt about with truth, right? The sword, uh, which is the word, the shield of faith, and the foot covering of the gospel. Now, there's some. you're going to draw some lines on your page here. And these are the lines. The broidered coat, the robe, and the ephod, those all point to these fine linen righteousness that the Lord provides you, okay? He, that he puts on you through, his, uh, through, through his, uh, his sacrifice. The breastplate is, a, is still a breastplate, right? The miter is, which is a, just a hat, is the helmet of salvation. And the girdle is truth. That these three are added, it's very interesting. The sword is added because the word of God is not yet complete in the book of Exodus. It is for us. The shield of faith. It's interesting. 247 times the word faith appears in the King James Bible. Two times faith appears in the Old Testament. 245 times it appears in the New Testament. Faith is an overwhelmingly New Testament concept. Obedience is an Old Testament concept. Okay? I mean, it's actually also New Testament, but you're tracking, I think. The shield of faith, the foot covering, the gospel. There is zero times the word gospel appears in your Old Testament. These three are New Testament concepts. All of this, all of this, but this in in particular is added through Christ's blood, through his, his arrival, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. All of this ultimately comes from the Lord. So the reflection of, did you guys get all that? That wasn't, hopefully that wasn't too, too hard. Okay. All of this is a reflection of the spiritual. Now, your your handout looks maybe a little weird because on one side, it's a column that says it's a heart matter. On the other side, it's a column that says it's a holiness matter. We're going to do the heart matter and holiness matter from the Old Testament first. Then we're going to talk about it from a New Testament, but all of it's on, on, on your page. It's a matter of the heart. Exodus 28. And thou shalt put the breastplate of judgment 
the Urim in the breastplate of judgment, the Urim and Thummim. And they shall be upon, look at this, upon Aaron's heart. He didn't say it'll be upon Aaron's chest. Certainly could have said that. Or torso or, or some other term that I'm not thinking of. But it's supposed to be upon his heart. Right in the front, upon his heart. When he goeth in before the Lord, and Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel upon his heart before the Lord continually. <clears throat> like, you can't, you can't avoid the tone and the tenor here that this is a heart situation, okay? If Aaron puts on all the garments and has sin in his life or is doing it with the wrong motive, there's issues. So it's just as much the outward, if you will, appearance as it is the inward, okay? It's also a holiness matter in Exodus 28, 36. And thou shalt make a plate of pure gold and grave upon it like the engravings of a signet, holiness to the Lord. That would be upon his forehead. And, and they shall be upon Aaron and upon his sons when they come into the tabernacle of the congregation or when they come near unto the altar to minister in the holy place that they bear not iniquity and die, right? This holiness to the Lord, it's a holiness matter. Like I, <clears throat> look, I am a sinner. I've, how many times this morning did I sin? Did you keep track? A couple of times at least. At least a, at least a handful, at least 15 times. 30 or 45 times. She's got, I've got a list at home. We, on our cho- we've got a little chalkboard. And every time I sin, she goes over and she just goes, just like that, right on a little chalkboard. I'm like, dang it. And what I do is I'll go over and I wipe it clean and I say the blood of Jesus took care of it. And then she's like, and then she's standing there again with the chalk waiting. Now, I am a sinner. I'm, I mess up. I've messed up during this message, Okay. But if I bring the sin to the table, so to speak, that's a problem. I need to check that. I need to deal with that before the Lord. Like, I don't preach to any one of you. I don't have an agenda. If the Lord's speaking to you, then praise the Lord. The Lord's speaking to you. Like, I have never once thought, boy, I need to really preach this message so Doug gets it. Okay, one time I thought that about Doug. But... but, but, but I also thought it about me. So there, like, like I don't preach with an agenda. I'm not trying to manipulate you. If I do, I've got to remember that. And I'm getting older, and I can't remember. You know, why is it coming from a movie? Jack Squat. I don't know. Is that from a movie? Jack Squat. I feel like I can't remember anything. Like I am forgetting my. I'm forgetting stuff like crazy. I can't remember how I've manipulated you and what I'm trying to get you to do. Like, don't, don't, that's, that's not even a thing. My point is, I have to approach this, even though I'm a sinner, I have to approach it with holiness unto the Lord. Like, I've got to trust that whatever the message is, His Holy Spirit's doing that work in you. Like, I can't, I can't grab Paul and I can't shake him and say, Paul, get this. I can't. I can't look at, well, maybe I could with my wife. I can't look at Christina and say, Christina, if you would just really latch onto this, it'd be good for you. Like, that's me being the Holy Spirit, and that doesn't work. But I still need to do it holy unto the Lord, with holiness unto the Lord. 
All right. So from an Old Testament, it's a heart matter and a holiness matter. Notice the pattern continues in the New Testament. It's a heart matter. Ephesians 3, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted, rooted and grounded in love. And he continues. But the point here that I'm trying to pull out is the fact that in the New Testament, the New Testament believer, it's a heart matter still, okay? You have to have Christ in your heart, okay? That's kind of bad vernacular when people say they accepted Christ into their heart, so to speak. That's not technically what happens. I think they, they mean well, but what they actually mean is they accepted his sacrifice on the cross for their sins, and that he conquered sin and death, and he can bring them new life, okay? It's also a holiness matter. In Romans 16, 19, or I'm sorry, Romans 6, 19, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness, and that ye put on the new man in Ephesians 4, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So, we have to put on these garments, the sacrifice that he, it's literally Christ. Put on Christ. And I know, like at the end of the day, some of you are like, I, I nailed it. I knew that was where you were going from the get-go. And I, as a young believer, I remembered struggling with how to put on Christ. I didn't understand the mechanisms. But it's to allow him to direct you more. It's to allow, it's, it's seeking his desires. It's seeking his direction for your ministry, for your direction, for every decision of life. So you're faced with buying your dream car. Should I? Should I buy? Should, I, I don't think I'm ever going to get a fire truck or a Humvee. I don't think that's ever going to actually happen. I don't know, maybe someday I'll win the lottery and I'll have, what do they call it, um, discretionary funds. And I'll be able to buy a Humvee or a fire truck and enter it in. You know what? If I buy both a Humvee and a truck, I'll need somebody to drive one in the, in the parade with me because I'm going to drive the other one. And you could be that person. Just throwing it out there. Michelle, she's sitting up with the Dalmatian. Throwing candy, right? I think we already established this. Why are, why are you not tracking with me, honey? The kids are going to love you. Um, you'll have you'll have the dog and you'll have the candy. Like, why are you not on board with this plan? But where was I going? Oh, in your decision making, in your decision making of life, you need to put on Christ. Christ, is this what Lord? Is this what you would have me do? You know, this sounds like a really cool opportunity. Like, we're going to pray on earnestly and honestly pray for this opportunity, this, this I'll call it open door, potential open door, to, to speak to these ladies. Like, that could be really cool. But sometimes, obe- uh, sometimes the victory is just the obedience, not the actual execution. Sometimes the victory is saying, yes, Lord, we're willing, despite whether the door actually fully opens and you execute on it. We've got some folks moving back from Boston. You know, Adam and Heidi Merritt are moving back. They did not fail. 
They were obedient and fulfilled the call that Lord had on them for the season that he had in Boston. They're back now, presumably ready to hitch their ministry wagon with ours and get at it again here. That's a great thing. That's not something we should shy away from. Just the decisions you make, the seeking his time in his word, seeking time in prayer, those are the mechanisms of putting on Christ. Discipleship, baptism, like maybe even LFBI, continuing in your studies, like all of those things you need to prayerfully consider. So our last building lesson, and we'll wrap up here. Your outside should manifest your inner man. And in the Old Testament, that really couldn't totally happen. Aaron wasn't redeemed. In the New Testament, it can happen because we can have Christ on the inside and on the outside. An outside covering is is really not enough for service, though. An outside covering is not enough for service. And this is the, the tantalizing part so that you'll come back at least in a few weeks when I teach again. I hope you come back for when Brian teaches again. But And, and I read this early in the message. And thou shalt put upon Aaron, uh, put them upon Aaron and uh, thy brother and his sons with him, the, the garments, and shall anoint them and consecrate them and sanctify them. That's what the message is going to be in a, in, a, in a few weeks. Because it's not enough just for the dude to wear the stuff. He needs to be anointed, he needs to be consecrated, and he needs to be sanctified, okay? So I put at the bottom, to be continued, all right? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for...